Hi, and welcome to the Digital Health Roundtable. I'm your host, Matt Sabolsky. This is a regular panel discussion held with the brightest minds in healthcare. We hold collaborative conversations devoted to those making care as accessible and as innovative as possible. Stay tuned for a special episode of the Digital Health Roundtable. So, hey, and welcome to the Digital Health Roundtable. I am your host, Matt Sabolsky. I'm here today with a familiar face and a longtime friend, Ken Kanara from ECA and Dr. Gustav Brown, also from ECA. And we're going to be talking about a lot of things. One, uh, the labor market, transitions from traditional legacy firms uh, to computer and digital health and IT. Uh, we're talking about private equity, fragmented markets, uh, creating new networks to scale. We're talking about artificial intelligence and machine learning with pitfalls, passions, and who truly is an expert in that field. And then finally, we're going to close out with some information from Gustav on some interesting topics from ECA that the audience is going to want to hear on project-based work. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Introduce yourselves, tell us what you do with ECA, and we'll get the party started. Well, Matt, thanks for uh, that intro. Um, and uh, uh, we'll, Matt used the term gentleman uh, very loosely, I can tell, uh, from starting this yes. out. But uh, yeah, yes. I'll, I'll kick things off. And, and then, uh, you know, the real start of the show, will uh, that's where the, the info will come from uh, with uh, Gustav Brown. But um, yeah, I'm Ken Canera. I'm the CEO of ECA Partners. We're a specialized project staffing and executive search firm focused primarily on private equity um, we do a lot of work in the middle market and lower middle market. So everything from kind of CEO and CFO roles for portfolio companies to project-based work where we have consultants on the ground doing everything from pricing strategy to PMOs. Um, but uh, that, that's kind of me. Uh, I'll turn it over to Gustav as well to introduce himself. Thanks, Ken. I'm Gustav Brown. I'm a senior director at ECA, as well as the healthcare practice lead uh, here at ECA. And um, you know, within healthcare, you know, the type of work sectors that we focus on, you know, really anything in the provider ecosystem, whether it's primary care, OBGYN, dental, radiology, um, eye care, anything like that. And then we also work with a number of health tech companies, uh, pharma's and other biotechs, medical devices companies. Um, and some large payers as well. Y'all are in it. And the brand has great recognition. I've been fortunate to work alongside you, recommend you, refer you. Um, I enjoy talking to you all because you have your finger on the pulse of where talent that's human-based is going. So let's kick this off with something that's more of an umbrella topic to hear from you. I'll start with you, Gustav, or, or Ken, whoever wants it. Um, tell us about the labor market for executives in healthcare, specifically with where you're focused. The audience, I'm sure, with all the news lately, uh, the testimony from Jerome Powell, market volatility, are interested in, yeah, but how does it impact me? So all ears, fellas. Yeah, so I think, you know, we can talk about the labor market at a macro level, and then we can drill down into healthcare. So starting at the macro level, you know, it's, it's a strange market in that if you look at the unemployment figures, Unemployment is at a historic low, but at the same time, there's a lot of anxiety 
about, you know, what's coming next. There's a lot of people who've been talking about that there's a recession dropping any minute now, but then, you know, it just simply doesn't happen. And the labor market has, has proven very resilient despite a number of setbacks over the last six to 12 months. Uh, there's also a lot in the news about layoffs, but, you know, the one thing to keep in mind is that a lot of these are happening at large public tech companies, companies that you could argue overhired during the pandemic uh, to compensate for the switch to remote work and to a perceived uh, and real rise in demand for digital services during that period when everybody was at home. Um, what's happening then from that perspective may be more of a correction than a downturn. And I think that the overall labor figures do bear that out. We are still in a very tight labor market. There is still a, a lack of qualified individuals, both in a lot of executive roles, as well as a lot of technical roles. And that's true both at the economy for the economy at large and, and also specifically in healthcare where I think, you know, anybody who pays attention to healthcare knows, for example, about the shortage of, of skilled nurses. And we also find that there's a lot of other positions where it's very challenging um, for companies to, to get a good pipeline of candidates because there simply are more positions out there than there are qualified candidates to fill them. Yeah. And, and I, I think I would add to that, um, Gustav, given that ECA gets to kind of focus on middle market and lower middle market businesses. Um, yes, we, you know, you have the headlines that, you know, make you think that the sky is falling. Um, but if you look at the data, like Gustav said, unemployment rates are, are at historic lows, right? Uh, I think last time I checked, it was like 3.4% um, was from February uh, figures. But, um, you know, the other thing that's going on in the middle market and lower middle market is, uh, you've you've got a slowdown in deal flow, right? So Q3 and Q4 of 2022, um, we saw a drop off, um, primarily driven by the you know higher interest rate environment. Um, the interesting thing that's going to happen here for call it small to mid sized businesses in the U.S. is private equity funds are going to have to put that money to work um, because that's that's money that has been raised as part of a fund, also known as kind of dry powder, and so the the kind of prevailing expectation now is call it Q3 ish this year, whether or not interest rates flatten, fall down, uh, rise slightly, which I don't think they will. Um, we're deal flow is going to have to pick up or they're going to have to return that money to investors. Um, and I don't foresee the latter happening because that would be the, the, the first time in history it has. Um, so we're pretty bullish um, in general about just the overall market for these types of roles um, over the next kind of 12, 18, 24 months. Okay. So th that's exciting to hear, right? It's also relieving. And I think it's, you know, from what you both have shared, there's great perspective, you know, like one of the best pieces of advice I ever had from a friend of mine on the street was Matt, stop really, stop reading the dailies. You know, you read the dailies, you think the sky is falling, right? Or you read the dailies, you think you can't even lose a dime. And for the labor market, that's the case too. I mean, as Gustav, you pointed out, the focus on these large tech firms is going to get a lot of press. Uh, and it's a small percentage of the entire market of executives. And from what you said, it sounds like there's lots of opportunities still out there for people who are looking or who want to make a shift to something a little bit different, isn't there? Yeah. And I would say that the one subsector where concerns, I think, are more merited would be in the VC-backed healthcare space. And a lot of that is just a reflection of the fact that, you know, when, when, when PE 
makes a bet on a company, they're, they're making a bet that they're, you know, they can turn pretty much any company around with a, you know, a solid multiple, you know, maybe five to 10 X, something like that. When we're talking about VC, you know, they're, they're baking into their assumptions that most of the companies they're investing in aren't going to produce, you know, much at all, if any revenue. Um, and that'll be compensated for by a couple of unicorns or really strong performing companies that will make the rest of the bets affordable for them. You know, but, but not just in healthcare, but just in general, you know, in the VC-backed sector, we've seen fewer and fewer unicorns. So there is a, you know, theory that I think is borne out by data that there may be a kind of a retreat uh, from a lot of the more speculative bets uh, by VC firms. And, you know, this could have something of a, a chilling effect, um, particularly for new technologies, as well as, you know, for certain segments of the overall market in healthcare as more broadly. Um, that said, as Ken said, the, the PE sector does appear to be very healthy despite some pressures, particularly when it comes to lending. Um, overall, it does seem very healthy. And if we look at the you know, public side of healthcare as well, you know, pharma's payers and, and, and public providers, you're thinking of op the optimums of the world, things still do look quite positive. So, so legacy healthcare company, private equity, Digital health, remote, virtual focus. Walk us through the spectrum there, Gustav. Why do, the, why do those concepts matter when it comes to the market and where executives are taking their brain talents? Well, I think it you know goes without saying that we're at a crossroads in healthcare. You know, not just in the United States but globally where a number of different emerging technologies have the power to transform how we think about care and how we think about outcomes and, and, and how we also kind of think about things like patient data and what we can do with it. So the transformative effects are you know, multiple and, and, and manifest, but I think at the same time, nobody's 100% sure exactly which of these new technologies is gonna take root and how. Um, there are some that, that like IOT, for example, which is, you know, pretty much revolutionizing the, the medical devices field. And I think that's something that's fairly predictable. But, you know, when it comes to things like AI, which, you know, we can discuss in more detail later, um, it, there's a lot of question marks still. It's still very much in its infancy. and We don't really know what direction it's going to go in. That said, you know, everyone is convinced that, that new technologies are, you know, we're in the middle of a technological revolution within healthcare. And I think we can kind of separate that out into two related, I guess you would say related uh, questions or problems. One of them is how is technology transforming legacy healthcare companies? So thinking about your standard hospital system, for example, or your standard commercial payer, or even Medicare and Medicaid, uh, or a large pharma thinking about a Pfizer or a Bristol-Myers Squibb, something like that. And then we can think about new companies that are coming in and offering a product or a service that's either additive to the legacy companies or disruptive of the legacy companies and could in some cases even potentially replace some of them and, and fundamentally change the way in which we, uh, we do things. That would be sort of like the Google model where Google comes around and, and, and really transforms how we think about um, gathering information on a daily basis. Interesting. Um... How about customer satisfaction for these platforms? And you know, I guess the other question I have kind of off the cuff here is a tech platform isn't a business case. 
So if you're applying a new tech platform to care, you know, are you seeing placements where executives coming from companies that have real legitimate business cases and not just sort of like a momentum for a tech platform that happens to be novel? Yeah, I think you're seeing a little bit of both. So you do see companies that emerge and they've got this great technology and it promises to be transformative and it's going to change everything that comes after it, but there's no everything. real roadmap. Yeah, it's going to change everything. That's my favorite. Yeah. The world will never be the same. Exactly. And then ChatGPT comes along and we're like, well, I guess it is never going to be the same. <laughs> Sometimes it is true. Sometimes yeah. it never, everything won't be the same after that. But a lot of the time, you know, you have a, a, a neat technology. Maybe it's a few years ahead of, of its time. Um, you know, thinking back, there'll be a, a little bit of a deep cut, but going back to the uh, internet, internet revolution of you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, yeah. where you had a lot of technologies that didn't have the infrastructure in place for them and wouldn't for another 10 years. Right. The technology was great, but the market wasn't prepared for it. And you're yeah. seeing that a lot now, and you're seeing that a lot in digital health. Yeah. Um, you know, on the other hand, there's a lot of kind of, you just would say sort of no-brainer ideas, which is, you know, hospital systems are, are all using Epic nowadays. They're collecting patient data. The data is generally better and cleaner than it was 10 or 20 years ago. Um, now you might have some programs that will clean that data automatically and allow people to actually use it to, to, to derive insights or, or AI algorithms that can do that themselves and, and kind of adapt to what you need and, and help with preventative or predictive medicine. You know, things that, that I think, you know, the infrastructure is ready for it. And, uh, and, and now we have the, the service or the product uh, that people can start deploying. Yeah, and I would I would almost like tie that back to your first point around the the labor market and like the headlines, Matt and Gustav. It's like the the health tech companies that have a really stable, solid growth story, but not like a you know super crazy hockey stick growth story, um, are the ones you don't hear about. We actually interviewed a guy on our podcast. Um, named Cal Patel, who uh, started a company called Bright Insights, and basically, it, just to make it super quick, um, and I'll probably uh, I'll probably butcher the explanation here, but it's like he's basically combining um, medical devices with data to better patient outcomes. If you think about like diabetes as an example, it's like okay, let's let's you know let's shorten the time span that it takes for them to get their insulin right. And so like, that's a company that's growing very quickly by conventional standards, but it's not like insane hockey stick growth. And I would agree with that. And, you know, when I think about going back to the labor market, we, we think about all these new technologies, you know, you don't necessarily need every executive to be a, an AI, former AI engineer or someone who can get in and write code and, and create their own internal chat GPT. But what you do need increasingly is, people who understand what the technology can and can't do and understand how to create business cases from new products, new technologies, new services. I think if we look at healthcare specifically, 
you know, you're going to find it's a pretty conservative, especially on the payer side, it can be a pretty conservative industry um, in the sense that most of the people in executive positions are coming from within healthcare, can be quite insular, um, you know, sort of running on its own schedule, so to speak. Um, at the same time, you know, if we think about people, you know, who can really deliver in this new environment, we'll think about people whose careers span both healthcare and tech. Or maybe they came out of a management consulting firm, you know, McKinsey or an Accenture, where some of the projects they were working on were specifically about implementing digital health uh, and tech, new technologies for legacy companies. And they have ability to kind of think through the, what can we do with these advancements? And what can we not do with these advancements? And, and, and what's going to be the, the differentiating factor for our company? So I, I see that's a major trend is, is we need digital fluency and yes. people who can think strategically about, about, the, you know, about digital health. You know, I think Gustav, you, I don't know if you've coined that term digital fluency, but I think it should be probably stamped on the top of everyone's resume if they're looking for work or if they're having communications, at least a sense of responsibility to say, hey, if I'm going to jump on top of this momentum towards this tech, I ought to take some time authentically and genuinely with my curiosity to get to know it so that I can understand you the technology we're leveraging or talk to customers about the ones we can adopt if we're not already using it. Uh, I mean, if you don't have your eye on AI to be fluent about how you buttress a business case or a tech you already are in charge of, pretty irresponsible. I don't think anyone in charge at a CXO level isn't doing that or even a senior director level. Um, but that's a great point you make, digital fluency. Um, let me pivot for a second because I think we're doing a great job of sort of like talking about this problem and understanding it. Um, what about creating networks to scale? You mentioned something to me earlier about prospects or, or growth stalling out. Um, what did you mean? So um, one thing that I can think of is specific to the PE sector, you know, up until last year, companies had gotten used to this idea that you could essentially borrow for free with 0% interest rates. And that meant there was a very low barrier to expansion. You could grow by acquisition. Um, let's say you're a provider platform in the dental space. You can just identify a market that you want to enter, say, San Diego. You find a bunch of independent dental practices and you offer to bring them into your platform. It's easy to get the funds to do that. And, uh, and, and then you can spend time on integrating them. But in a higher interest rate environment, companies, PE back companies have to be a lot more strategic about which practices they add and how many they add. So it, it creates sort of, I guess I would say, a slower path uh, to growth. Or, and also incentivizes focusing on organic growth as well, which is not to say that, that companies can't and aren't still growing through acquisition. They, they are, but I, I do think that things have slowed down a little bit from where they were about a year ago. And, and, and as Ken was saying earlier, you know, there's, there's a lot of consensus that we're probably going to see the interest rates starting to come down. Earliest is probably beginning of Q3, maybe Q4, maybe Q1 of 2024. But at some point, they are going to start coming down. And there's going to be an awful lot of dry powder ready to be deployed for that purpose when that happens. I hear a lot of things. I hear 
you know, Medicare Advantage, you know, there's a lot going on there. Analytics, I hear the nursing shortage, a lot of solutions, companies based and having solutions for those problems. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? And then I want to talk about something really important, which is somewhat related to my work in a consultative base, which is project-based work in a world of like growth and uncertainty into the next 12 months. Yeah, great set of questions. Um, I guess starting with, um, so thinking about the nursing shortage. So, so you know, that one, I think it, it was sort of a perfect storm. One of them was that during COVID, nurses were asked to spend, you know, work longer hours in dangerous conditions. I think there are a lot of providers felt morale was low. It was a struggle to retain people. Um, at the same time, then, you know, what happened from that was you started to get these, these bidding wars and you get traveling nurses. And, and this creates, you know, an upward pressure on price, um, which also creates pressures on the finances of, of a number of companies that are reliant on, on nurses, thinking, you know, RNs, skilled nurses and so forth. You know, at the same time, another effect of COVID is that there were restrictions on immigration. In the United States, we have typically relied to a large degree on nurses coming from abroad. And even though, you know, partway through the, uh, the, the COVID pandemic, there, those restrictions were relaxed specifically for, for nurses. Um, pretty sure that it's still a challenge to bring over as many people as we were in, in 2019. And, and, and all of that has, has kind of created a lot of pressures there that are, that are tough, to, uh, tough for companies to, to untangle. How do you, Gustav, partner with someone like me who has regular clientele or someone who might hear this who has a great skill set, incredible network, a lot of capability, existing in an insecure market so they can, you know, work with people and work on good problems? Yeah, so ECA works both on executive search, by which we mean filling leadership positions on a permanent basis, and on-demand project work, by which we mean traditional consulting or interim roles. And, and these are on a contract basis. Really, the difference is, do you need someone on a rolling basis uh, to build a career at your company, or do you need someone to come in to solve a specific set of problems? We're always doing a mix of both of these things. But the, the one that's sort of dominant it can fluctuate from time to time based on what's going on in the market. I would say, and, and Ken, feel free to jump in here as well, but I would say, you know, in, in 2022, there was definitely a tilt towards executive search. Companies had a lot of money to spend. They had a lot of ambitious growth plans. They wanted to bring on, you know, both the typical kinds of executives any company needs, like a CFO or a controller, a COO, CEO, you know, VP of operations, but also a lot of these newer types of, of uh Newer types of, of positions, you mentioned value-based care earlier. So a lot of providers were hiring, you know, a VP of, of population health or a VP of, of medical management, where, where really the role was kind of fundamentally about, you know, making sure that patient populations can make that transition successfully from fee-for-service to a value-based model of reimbursement. I, I would totally agree with what you're saying, Gustav. And um, I mean, that actually dates me back all the way to how Matt and I got introduced, um, which is a lot of the healthcare clients in private equity are usually looking for something pretty nuanced, right? So it's like, you know, how, do you want to 
and and hire a, a team for a few million dollars for a, a healthcare design uh, project, or do you want to, or do you want to go to someone like Matt, right? Uh, who on the video you should all see is is pointing to himself very very nicely. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean in all seriousness, he, like I mean, what a nuanced kind of background, right? Um, and for a company to be able to get that on on a kind of a one-off basis is, is pretty unique. Um, and I think the lower middle market and middle market has been, has been craving this, uh, for quite some time. Um, it's a pleasure Gustav to meet you. Uh, we will get together in person very soon. Ken, man, we're going to keep doing this thing as long as we need to. And I'm very pleased with your own podcast success for the audience that's listening. What's the name of your podcast one more time, please. So we actually have two now. Uh -oh. uh, yeah, right. yeah. So there, 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 there's Beyond Consulting, which Matt was one of the inaugural guests. Uh, so if you haven't heard it already, check out his get his uh, his episode. We and had then, like what a hundred million views on that, I think. Yeah, it was like a hundred million, give 100 or take a hundred million. I, I but you know I'm not a <laughs> I'm not a mathematician. Uh, and uh, and You're and welcome. no, what's what's neat about that podcast actually is just that it, it tells the story of basically folks that have gone in, you know, from consulting to something else, right? And, and you told your story, Matt, around going from, you know, consulting, uh, you know, for a big firm to, to an independent consultant, which, which was really well received. And then we've also launched another podcast based on the success of that one called Not So Private Equity. So given that 85% of our client base is private equity, uh, what we do is we, we meet with folks that uh, work either on the operational or investment side of private equity and learn all about what they do. And, um, and that's been a, been a huge success. I think we're on like the fifth or sixth episode right now. Yeah, that's great to hear. I would encourage everyone to go do it. Um, to, to Ken's point uh, further, we continue to talk about sort of the evolution of, of work uh, in this new market that we're all, trying to navigate. We've never seen anything like this before. Um, Gustav, you had another point you wanted to make, and I wanted to let you have kind of the last word on what we talked about today and ECA, your expertise, what's being offered, and then I'll close. Yeah, thank you. Just wanted to add really quickly that, you know, as much as we saw a shift towards executive search in 2022, we're starting to see a shift towards project and fractional work now in 2023. And I think this is pretty logical why this is happening. You know, if companies are concerned about, you know, what's happened, what's going to happen three months or six months or nine months down the line, you know, they're going to pull back the types of commitments that are, you know, multi-year commitments, essentially. Like, for example, if you bring on a new, you know, VP of operations or VP of population health, you know, that's a multi-year commitment right there. But you still have problems to solve. So what a lot of companies are looking to do is exploring how they might be able to bridge that gap with project-based work, bring people in for a month, three months, six months, something like that, where they can get the work that needs to be done, get that work done. Um, but at the same time, you know, if the economy does go south in, in, in six months, you know, they're in a defense, defensive position and ready for that. Now, I think generally speaking, we don't see that happening in healthcare over the long term. Healthcare has proven to be fairly recession resistant, if not outright recession proof. Um, so I, I don't know if, if that's really a scenario that's going to come to pass. 
but at the same time, you know, a lot of companies are being cautious right now. And because of that, you know, we are seeing, definitely seeing an uptick in interest in project work and, and, uh, and interim roles. Okay. This is insightful. Gustav Brown, ECA, Ken Canara, ECA. Gentlemen, and I emphasize gentlemen, thank you for being on the show. And we're going to have to do this again. If anyone listening wants to get in touch with ECA, Ken, how do they do it? Yes. Yeah, so just uh, check out the website, www.eca-partners.com. And then you can contact uh, Gustav. You can find him on and, and myself on, on LinkedIn. Uh, Gustav, anything else to add there? Matt, thanks for having us on here. It's been a great conversation. Excited to, to be on your show. And, uh, you know, always, always excited to speak with people about what's going on in healthcare. And, and like Ken said, you know, you can find me on LinkedIn, Gustav Brown, PhD. Um, and uh, I'd be excited to, uh, to chat with you. Wonderful. Uh, and for those listening, don't forget, we have lots of episode of the Digital Health Roundtable, DHR. We also have a Substack uh, where I write with Alex Esparza, about markets and capital and, and uh, you know, trends. Um, she's fantastic and just so incredibly comprehensive in her insights and analysis. There's more of that coming. So go there and subscribe, digitalhealthroundtable.substack.com. You can also find us on six different distribution channels at any given time, DHR into Google. Look us up on Spotify. Tune in, subscribe. Gents, Thanks for having me. Or actually, fellas, thanks for being on the show. <laughs> Thank, thanks so much, Matt. It's been thanks, a Matt. pleasure. Bye-bye. All right. This has been the Digital Health Roundtable. We'll see you next time. This has been the Digital Health Roundtable. I'm Matt Sabolsky. Join us next time for another episode. Follow us on Substack and subscribe. We'll see you soon.